Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh yeah! It's a weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Hello, everyone. My name is Craig Asano, the founder and CEO of NCFA Canada, welcoming you to season four of FinTech Fridays, which is episode 55. It's a weekly podcast brought to you by NCFA and Partners, where we sit down with the incredible people in the FinTech and funding community and talk about trends, product innovations, developments, and challenges. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Anne-Marie Fannin, who is the director of the Work Learn Institute at the University of Waterloo, which is the only research unit of its kind researching the development of talent through quality work integrated learning programs. They have done extensive research in attracting, engaging, and retaining Jetsend talent, which should be a very interesting topic and discussion today, as well as what it takes for employers to be future ready. Of course, the University of Waterloo is one of Canada's leading research institutions and universities and produces a plethora, and I'm telling you, I'm talking from experience, a plethora of top grads across the board, especially in tech, science, engineering. They are also operate a world-renowned co-op program with, I believe, 20 or 25,000 students enrolled, which is the largest in the world. So I think that's absolutely Remarkable. Anne-Marie, we're thrilled that you can join us today to share your knowledge and experience. Thanks so much and welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Craig. I'm very excited to be here today and to have this conversation. Yeah, I think it's a a topic that we've certainly not covered here on the show. And I think it's very relevant to many companies um, who are building in the space, obviously sourcing talent and really understanding the motivations and what it's all about is, is critical to building a successful you know, product and, and business. So I'm very excited. So let's get uh, into this. So just to kick things off, a bit of an intro question, um, maybe you can elaborate a little bit about the work you're doing and tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you get involved at UW and the talent development and experiential learning uh, space? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been at Waterloo for over 20 years now, but specifically in the work integrated learning space for the last 13 years. And my passion for it grows each and every year. And that's really because it is so easy to see the efficacy of this educational model. So the ways in which our students so quickly develop these critical competencies and the impact that they have on our employers and our community partners. My work for the last 10 years was really in the development of new work integrated learning programs and developing the curriculum that supports students learning during those uh, work integrated learning experiences. And I've recently moved to the Work Learn Institute, which, as you mentioned, is the world only research center um, specifically focused on quality work integrated learning and school to work transitions and there really is no better place in the world to be studying work integrated learning than at the University of Waterloo. I feel incredibly privileged to do this work uh, and to be here today to share a little bit it with you and your listeners. Yeah this experiential everything's about a journey when, when you're building something new you're approaching innovation uh, the, the ability to learn and foster something novel and take it on board and develop it and implement it and nurture it 
that's the, the language of a lot of venture startups. Uh, it doesn't matter actually what sector they're in. And so I think it's, it's hand and parcel. It's a perfect fit for our podcast. So I'm really pleased that you're here to talk about this. In, in the world of, of sort of, let's just begin off with the workforce and you know, what's going on from a trends perspective and how it's shaping the, the job market and the world. And just can you explain a little bit what's happening in the trends of the workforce? Absolutely. So first and foremost, we have to acknowledge uh, COVID and and COVID's impacts on the workforce, particularly with respect to considerations of remote work and hybrid work and and what this means in terms of access to global talent. So as as everyone has seen, COVID-19 really accelerated the workforce trends that were well underway and and pushed us to think about how we are going to respond um, in a a really um, efficient and and thoughtful manner. Uh, The WorkLearn team recently completed a review of the literature of the future of work. And in that, we identified six specific workforce trends that, again, were already underway before COVID, but have accelerated. Um, So the first one is top of mind for many of us, advances in AI and technology. And and really at the core, what that means in terms of ensuring that our employees have an appropriate mix of those human and technical skills and, and how we're going to be able to really quickly respond to technology's impacts on our day to day work. The next trend that emerged is really the increasing need for employees to have skill agility and transferability. So with the rapid changes, the rapid um, impacts of technology, our day-to-day work is changing so quickly. And that means as employees, we need to know how our skills transfer to different tasks, to different roles, and sometimes even to industries as new industries emerge. So how can you take those skills that you learned in school or that you've developed through 10, 15 years of a career in, in one industry and think about how to leverage them in an entirely new context? context. Um, The next one is sort of hand in hand with that, and that's the need for all employees to be those lifelong learners. So constantly upskilling and reskilling, identifying their own gaps and taking the initiative to fill them. And of course, this isn't just on the individual worker. This is something where we're going to need um, solutions at an ecosystem level, both employers and government. But there really will be quite an imperative that each employee really understand what is happening in the world of work and taking the ownership to make sure that they are individually prepared to respond. The fourth trend relates to diverse workplaces. Uh, So once again, going back to this idea of global talent and, and how we might think about an international workforce, but also what it means to tap into the entire labor market and to build inclusive workplaces that support diverse employees because we need all of our workers. Um, it's not just a, a, a nice to have, it's, it's an imperative for all organizations to really be thinking about um, talent in different ways and much more inclusive ways. 
the gig economy, of course, continues to grow. So how do we manage this? How do we protect worker rights, create um, strong employment experiences in a gig economy? And then another trend that is emerging, and and we'll probably talk about quite a bit later, is this gap between employee and organizational values. And I think that's really epitomized by the great resignation um, and organizations needing to think about whether or not they really live their stated values. Are they really encouraging wellness, uh, work-life balance in their employees? And uh, this is top of mind for Gen Z. So not only is it something that employers need to think about for all of their employees, but if they really want to access this emerging talent, they're going to need to change work structures uh, to live those values and understand the values of their employees. Wow, that is uh, a lot to take in. I mean, every single one of those five trends whether it's the tech and moving online, and we've seen growth in the gig economy, of course, and, and all sorts of others, uh, the diversity point, the lifelong learning, the the gap in the values, like what, this is at a time when you have the great resignation, yet, you know, governments around the world, they need to get their economies back on track, get everyone back to work. So this is the timing of this conversation is, it's, it's ideal. So in terms of these skills or, or trends, really, what are we, how do, is Canada doing a good job? Is there one area that, you know, we've, we've got it or there, there's a gap, we need a lot of work and how do we rank globally? Are we doing a good job or do we need to go back to the drawing board? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think we should be very proud of our educational systems in Canada. Canadian graduates consistently rank in the top five of the world. And we also have a highly educated population with 62% of adults uh, aged 25 to 64 with post-secondary degrees. Uh, So this does mean that Canadian talent is highly sought after and all employers, especially our domestic employers, really need strategic to think strategically about how to build those workplaces that are going to attract Canadian talent. So this is a problem in many sectors, but as I am sure you know, it's felt very acutely in the tech industry where oftentimes our salaries fail to compete with say our American competitors. Uh, So not only do our employers need to think about how they're going to attract the talent, but especially how to retain it within their organizations. Um, And as mentioned earlier, and we can get into a little bit later, this really means rethinking um, what work looks like and ensuring that staff find it meaningful. And uh, for employers, this might mean a lot of individualization of work, and that butts up against many of our existing practices. Uh, But we need to see the value and the specific ways that we can engage each individual employee, um, sort of solve for the individual, as I I heard someone once say, so that we can really build this human capital within our organizations. In terms of 
uh, challenges with the Canadian educational system. I think one of the things that's emerging is really making sure that we are indeed imbuing those future ready capabilities in our students. Um, and obviously, I will be an evangelist for work integrated learning and the ways in which it can help to develop those competencies in our learners, because that's what we need them to know that the future of work is going to be volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. They're going to have to shift. Uh, it's not, you know, um, learn and earn as, as we had in the past. We're going to have to be constantly evolving. So that's the thing we need to keep our eye on in the Canadian educational system, that we build uh, lifelong learning capabilities in our students and, and think about uh, constant connection between education and work throughout life. Yeah, experiential. I, I mean, I, I look at my own case, although I graduated many years ago, it's, but the co-op experience, that was what it was about. And fast forward all those years later, I just can't imagine how the experience has changed so much. But uh, for, for the listeners, you heard it first, uh, you, you've got 25,000 amazing co-op students that absolutely need this experiential education because we got to close the gaps. There, there can't be any gaps in what industry is needing. It's evolving very quickly. And it, it really works hand in hand with the leading uh, universities like the University of Waterloo. So uh, if you need a, a co-op student, connect with, with me or you know, we'll connect you on with the experiential co-op um, department at University of Waterloo. And we're very thankful that NCFA has a partnership with um, UW. So that's excellent. So I know we've got a number of questions uh, in the gaps area. And, but let's just divert for a second here to, to define the workforce. I mean, you're developing experiential programs um, for students. And I guess it's, it's Gen Z. I mean, I find it tough to keep track of it. We had millennials. Now we got Gen Z. <laughs> Um, many of us are, are, are Gen X and different generations ourselves. So when, when we're talking about Gen Z and the talent that they represent, can you just describe, you know, who exactly are we talking about? Uh, what is their life like? Are there stereotypes uh, that shouldn't be out there? Can you describe a little bit about uh, Gen Z? Absolutely. So as with all of these generation categories, there's some debate about uh, the specific age range of Gen Z, but roughly we're talking about those who were born in the latter half of the 1990s through to the early teens. So really the age range of those that are roughly between nine and, and 24 years old. And in terms of their profile, they, they tend to be categorized as flexible and adaptable with a real appreciation for diversity. Uh, they value their independence as well as the ability to express and to have their opinions recognized. They're incredibly skilled at multitasking. They are those um, true digital natives as well. And so one thing that's really interesting about Gen Z is they're um, really strong at moving between um, technology and and in-person or real experiences, um, this sort of that fluidity that will work incredibly well for these remote and, and hybrid workforces. Um, they certainly prioritize financial stability, uh, and they're also seen as highly competitive and entrepreneurial. 
in terms of some specific stereotypes that might emerge from that profile, uh, sometimes we hear that um, Gen Z has a short attention span, that they prioritize, say, hedonism over hard work, and that they really do require more flexibility in their work. And I think um, while there's some truth to some of those uh, stereotypes or generalizations, Sometimes that's um, more us older folks sort of um, having notions of what effective work looks like or, or what worker engagement looks like that just don't hold true for this generation, but that in no way, shape or form limits their ability to contribute to our organizations in incredible ways. It just means, as we've already talked about, that we need to think about how to bridge that gap. So speaking of, of bridging the, the gap, we're working with all sorts of startup and scale-up companies. Uh, they, they're experiencing right now a, a resource, like a strain on resources and resource allocation, and they're competing across the board. I was just having a conversation with my brother, who's uh, leading a, a, a transportation tech company. I think there's 24 developers, and uh, it seems like every week I get on the phone, there's another uh talented developer, we're being plucked away for a higher salary and things. So uh, I just, the the strategies that a company uh, might employ to retain that talent and, you know, what, what are some tips and how should an organization, whether they're a smaller, nimble and agile startup or an emerging scale up, someone that's closed a few rounds and probably north of a hundred employees approaching two, three, four hundred and even, even enterprise, what's the latest thinking? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So this is something that uh, WorkLearn has studied extensively. Um, maybe I will start with um, recruitment. So how do we attract Gen Z candidates to our organization? Uh, and we recently did a study with some of our students to better understand why they would or wouldn't apply to a specific job posting. And the advice for employers is this. So job ads need to go beyond tasks, pay, and benefits. Uh, Those job ads really need to be explicit about the skills that an employee is going to learn. Uh, The job ads need to help the employees see the ways in which they'll be able to make a positive impact. And those job ads should articulate the organization's values. And students were even more compelled to apply to a job if it was clear in that job ad actually how the employer was going to make these things a reality. Um, You know, Gen Z, and this applies particularly in a work integrated learning context, they want to know how they're going to be given opportunities to grow and to contribute. Uh, And and we can talk about this a little bit more, but that really comes down to um, structuring job tasks differently with a rich balance of, of course, getting the day-to-day job done, but also really carving out space for those Gen Zers to innovate, to stretch themselves, and to make an impact. And that goes oftentimes beyond the job description itself. Um, 
And then there's there's also some work that we've done in terms of how to motivate Gen Z. So again, uh, they're more likely to be con- uh, attracted to positions where they enjoy their work, uh, where they have a chance to make a positive impact for the organization, but also for society, uh, where they have a strong social network at work. That's really, really important for Gen Z uh, and that they're able to receive recognition for that work. Uh, and there, there's some job stability. So instantaneously, you might begin to see some gaps between these values and say the future of work trends that we just talked about, you know, with the increase in the gig economy and, and our remote, remote workplaces where we're still trying to figure out how to replicate those social networks. So this is something for us to, to bear in mind as we think about evolving our organizational structures. Uh, it doesn't mean upending everything, but it really does require a, an understanding of these values of Gen Z and being really thoughtful in how we structure day-to-day work, how we build social networks, and how we recognize and reward uh, the efforts of Gen Z. Wow, we've got a challenge. The great resignation, it's not going to be easy to get them back to work. You, you can't treat them like a number. Right. And, and these, I think the larger the organizations are, even though they have an ingrained culture, the, the, that's a big challenge because however many hierarchies away from those that are, are making the ultimate decisions and, and you know, I heard instead of the tasks, you, you really need to show the value, the roadmap, the culture and all the things that, uh, w- would be great to know as you're assessing various employer prospects. And so I, I think that is a gap. I think that might come out in the interviews and, and maybe if the due diligence w- were done by Gen Z or anyone for that matter looking for a new job, they, they might have an opportunity to talk to another employee and, and just an employee to employee and, and compare notes. So I think it's fascinating. So it, it, from an organizational perspective, we're working with a lot of innovation sectors, and that's everything from all the new technologies and how they apply to various use cases and sectors. It's not always the finance apps, let's say, but are, are there certain roles and, and there are certain um, opportunities that would be best matched with Gen Z's capacity to, to innovate? Do you mm. think there's a good fit there? Yeah, great question. And I think it's really important for us to emphasize that youth, so our Gen Z right now, have specific traits that make them uniquely innovative. And some of that has to do with the stage that they're at in their lives uh, and even with their their neural, their brain development. Um, and so I don't think it's, it's limited to specific roles. Um, but I do think what, what all organizations need to do as they bring Gen Z talent into their companies is to think again about creating the space and the structures that Uh, allow and empower Gen Z to innovate. So uh, this is drawing upon some of the work of our colleagues at Waterloo, Amelia Clark and Alona Doherty. They study youth and innovation, and they've found that, among other things, some of the really strong traits that you would see in Gen Z. So youth 
as we might remember, are still visionaries. They're, they're still able to dream big and, and believe in the art of the possible. They're um, at their neurobiological peak of creative thinking, and they are just not as bound by social rules and, and the hierarchy. There are also experimenters who are curious, and they're really, as they said, willing to challenge the status quo. So in order to capitalize on this, employers need to first give space and flexibility for that innovation to occur. And so, um, again, you know, maybe it's one of those models that we hear about with the 10% of the work time on an innovation project or a stretch project for that employee. Um, Maybe it's not something that is mission critical, but that could have a significant impact on the organization's bottom line. And that can be really inspirational for a Gen Z to be able to contribute in that kind of meaningful way. But most importantly, and fundamentally, it actually requires a willingness on the part of the employer, the supervisor, the organization to to hear, to listen to the ideas, to be open to the questions and the potential criticisms that would come from our Gen Z talent and to empower them to bring forward their questions and their ideas. So... I'm hearing we need new organizational structures. We need new, new th- this idea of space. We're not talking physical space. They need room and a roadmap for growth. And one thing that I, I guess I can tackle it through a question, a couple of different perspectives, but maybe a thing that popped into my mind that our listeners might be thinking about uh, is that organizations, they're, they're not all filled with Gen Z employees. So Founders might be a little bit older. They might be young too. Uh, what you know? How can Gen Z with these new organizational structures? So I sort of have a two prong question: comparing and contrasting with maybe some of the organizational structures of a startup or scale up compared to what the ideal Gen Z organizational structure might be. But then, what is the impact on everyone else? Because we might have some older employees in there as well. And they're providing a different experience and they're they're collectively as a team building and innovating products and commercializing them to market. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it it is one of those things where particularly as we think about Gen Z or, or, you know, early talent, early employees, uh, yes, it, it means that some changes to organ, organizational structures are necessary, but uh, I don't think it means that sort of complete upheaval that changes how you and I do work. So maybe I'll sort of put a little bit more specificity on that point and then talk about how it, it how the, those changes might interact with other generations. So um, you know, for organizations to really maximize engagement at work from a Gen Z perspective, as we've always already talked about, it really is giving that space for innovation and for skill development. But oftentimes those things already exist in our roles. Uh, what we need to do for Gen Z is 
make it really explicit. So learning has always been closely integrated with work. The two are inextricable. But what can be really helpful for young talent is for them to um, have their attention drawn to those explicit learning opportunities. We're doing this project or we're doing this training and here's why we're doing it and here's how it's going to help you. Um, and so it's it's not necessarily saying, oh, the way that we've been doing work for the last 50 years is wrong. It, it, and this is, I, I don't even think Gen Z specific, it's just youth specific and really um, making a few more intentional efforts to, as you've already said, show them that career roadmap, show them the impact and and being a little bit more uh, open to what might be seen as criticisms of why do we do this process this way. So I maybe just want to temper that a little bit that I don't think it means we we don't know how to create effective organizations for our employees or for our youth, just that it can be really helpful for, for all of us to think about how we are developing our skills and that that's kind of a best practice across the board. And then in terms of sort of the impact on other generations, and I'm going to maybe draw upon just work integrated learning um, specifically, I think that's where the magic happens when you can create a little bit of that space um, and where youth can be seen as mentors and mentees to their colleagues. So, um, you know, oftentimes the, the new graduate or the work integrated learning student is going to be bringing some of the newest ideas in their field or they they are those digital natives. They've got that um, technology in hand and so they can mentor their colleagues at the same time that they are learning from their colleagues about uh, their own career journeys and, you know, the the best practices in the organization and the best practices for finding fulfillment in work and work-life balance. So I, I don't see it, you know, we talk about generational um, uh, sort of pushes against one another. I, I think what the magic of work integrated learning is that when you bring someone with these fresh perspectives into your organization and you're really willing to listen, there can be this beautiful collaboration that happens and that challenges you to really see things through their eyes and um, and evolve your organization accordingly. I love it. Drop all those stereotypes and just collaborate and get the best that everyone can offer. And, and that's the whole workplace, the whole thing. Um, let's uh, move on and, and widen the lens a little bit from, from Gen Z and uh, talk about the, the global hiring future, because we're seeing uh and we have heard for decades, but I think now it's here, there might be some concern about uh, job loss through automation trends, uh, autonomous workers and and robots as not just employees. They're also customers now, as as we've learned through some of our metaverse contacts. And what what is the impact of the the raw automation and and autonomous workforce future look like? Mm -hmm. 
Right. So it's such an interesting question, isn't it? And particularly, as you've just said, as we really start to see it play out in organizations in response to the pandemic and and labor shortages, we've, we've already seen that the technology is here and it's advancing quickly. On the other hand, I don't think it's quite meeting the predictions about the speed to which it would disrupt, um, broadly disrupt as many roles or industries. Uh, nevertheless, I believe that the cautions about the impact of AI and robots are true. And, and those cautions are really that we need to think differently about how we train our workers. And as I've already shared, how we develop the lifelong learning skills that are going to be so critical for their continuous development and employability. Because as has always been the case, technology can help us tremendously with productivity. Um, And even though this means our jobs will change, and yes, some jobs will be lost, this isn't necessarily a bad thing if if we can find ways to upskill our existing workforce uh, to allow them to make more meaningful contributions using those uniquely human skills. Uh, so with, with respect to AI and robots, this is, of course, going to be particularly important with low-wage earners who are always vulnerable, but uh, many of the predictions with respect to AI and machine learning are noting that knowledge workers are going to be quite vulnerable as well. Um, and, and I, you know, vulnerable is probably not the right word that many knowledge workers are going to have uh, their jobs dramatically changed as a result of AI. And, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can make our jobs easier, remove those mundane tasks and, and even increase demand or availability for services. But We do need to ensure that uh, we are building the structures where when the technology comes in and you have those dedicated employees that have, you know, spent their careers with your organizations that we are there to help them evolve their work accordingly. And that's the key thing. And that's what we're hearing from industry as they start to think about how to do their training differently right now, before the technology has come in and um, completely removed 80% of someone's job. How do we train our workers not in a technology, not on a specific skill, but very holistically to take the initiative to learn the the human skills that are going to let them take that specific area and do more meaningful work in it because the technology has helped to remove those sort of rote or routine tasks. Look at the supermarket checkout. I, I never go on the line. I check myself out. It's the DIY checkouter every time, you know. It's so you, you you touched upon skills, and I can only think like about being future ready. And I've got two kids, um, trying to raise them the best we can. And regardless of age, young or old, like what, what are the skills that are required to be ready for the the these global changes in automation that is happening? What 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 are the core skills? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that we've studied extensively at Waterloo as well. And we've developed what we call our Future Ready Talent Framework to provide our students with guidance on what those skills are going to be and how 
they can specifically develop them. So the Future Ready Talent Framework consists of 12 competencies that are divided into four sort of clusters or buckets. Uh, And first, we have this idea of expanding and transferring expertise. So that includes competencies like the domain or technical skills that you need to do your day-to-day job. Uh, But it also includes technological agility. So the ability to not just learn specific software, but to be really comfortable with technology and to be an advocate for technology. Uh, And it also includes information and data literacy as something that's going to be core in just about every job um, in every industry. And then we also have a category that is really about developing self. And this is kind of how I think the future ready talent framework differs from some existing competency frameworks because it focuses on self-management. So resilience and emotional intelligence, and it focuses on self-assessment, really understanding where your strengths are and also what areas you have for development as an employee and, and as a human in this world. And then the third competency in this bucket is lifelong learning and career development. And again, that idea that we are all going to have to take responsibility for managing our own careers and making sure that we're staying abreast of the changes within our field. The third category in our future ready talent framework is one that uh, has always been critical for work um, and you'll probably find in any competency framework. So we have communication, we have collaboration, and then we have intercultural effectiveness and understanding what it means to work within a global workforce. And then the last category is really design and deliver solutions. All of these um, previous competencies are absolutely critical, but we have to be able to take them and move from concept to execution. So in that category, we have uh, an innovation mindset, we have critical thinking, and then we have implementation. And I, what I absolutely love about the Future Ready Talent Framework is that these competencies span all domains, all careers, and they really do think about the evolution of the human and and how we can sort of be using this framework, even as, um, you know, myself, what am I doing to improve my critical thinking skills these days? And how does that align with my day-to-day work? What does it really mean for me? And so I think as our, our learners move through their work integrated learning experiences and really start to understand what these competencies are and and how they're developing them. This gives them the resilience, the adaptability to navigate these, uh, this rapidly changing future of work. That is a ton to uh, absorb. Uh, I'm also conscious of time. I'm I'm trying to uh, keep us on track here, uh, but I I love what I'm hearing. I'm, I'm learning a ton and uh, it's certainly a different type of conversation than we've been having here on FitTech Friday's podcast. So the last question before we get into our, our you know, every every uh, podcast we try to do that I'm hosting anyway, try to do some rapid fire questions. But the last question uh, is just the trends in education. And is there any uh, intel to pluck from your immense knowledge base and experience and 
in, in what's happening. Are we missing any pieces here uh, with regards to preparing not just our, our future workforce, but um, ourselves for, for the future from an educational perspective? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks so much, Craig. It might not surprise you that I want to talk a little bit about work integrated learning. Uh, so it's certainly not new, but uh, we're seeing such huge interest in it these days. Uh, and I think, again, it really does boil down to its effectiveness as an educational model to meet the changing needs of industry and society. And so that's what I see happening in a work integrated learning space. I mean, if you look at the co-op model, it's been around at Waterloo for over 60 years. Uh, and in some ways, there's some really cool stuff about it that is, you know, preparing students for a gig economy. You work for four months, you go to school for four months, and you try out different industries and different organizations. But One of the things that I see happening in the educational space is just this continued partnership between uh, industry and education and thinking about what those connections look like in a different way. Uh, And so that could mean an educational institution working really closely with a specific employer or with an industry association to really better understand what is happening out there and to uh, co-create programming, to adapt programming, to meet those needs. That's what's super exciting to me about what's happening in um, the Canadian educational context. Uh, I think the kind of the walls of the ivory tower are coming down in, and certainly in work integrated learning, this real interest in understanding how we need to evolve as educational institutions to meet the needs of industry, but then more broadly as society. I'd absolutely love to uh, figure out how NCFA and our partnership with UW can really take it to the next level and figure out how can we implement that innovation to uh, get whole capacity. And I think it's very exciting. I I don't have all the answers. And I certainly did come up through that more traditional co-op program, which which was great. But uh, I think we're at a period in sort of the journey of education and and people can get access to things uh, immediately. But yet, from a skills perspective, they, they need so much more to be future ready. So I'm certainly excited to take that conversation uh, forward uh, another time. But this brings us to the uh, my favorite part of the discussion, although I've been really enjoyed the entire dialogue today, is the rapid fire questions. So I'm going to ask uh, five short questions and we're looking for short answers um, and, and rapid you know, questions and answers. You ready for that? Ready. Okay, let's do it. Uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap things here. So number one, what is your favorite Christmas cookie? Ginger snaps. Oh, I love those. Number two, what is one piece of advice you'd give yourself if you went back in time to when you were a university student? Yeah, stop worrying so much. Let it happen, right? Okay. Number three, what motivates you each and every day? Oh, absolutely. I am in love with my work and I just feel so lucky to get to do it. Love the passion. So number four, what's your favorite holiday destination, whether it's a city or country? Anywhere in the Caribbean. Nice. I don't know if you're going to be getting there this year, though. Uh, Last rapid fire question. What's one thing Canadians can do to make the world a better place? 
Yeah, I think we are so, so fortunate. And as Canadians, we need to know what is happening in this world. Uh, I think the um, UN SDGs are a great thing for us to be focusing on uh, and to really extend our internal domestic capacity for the betterment of the world. So learn the SDGs, know what they mean, and think about that global workforce. Amazing. So just in closing here, Emery, how can uh, listeners, anyone who's listening to the podcast, get in touch with you if they have any follow-up questions, they'd like to learn more, or they'd like to, uh, you know, integrative work learning, or they'd like to hire some students? How do they get in touch with you? Oh, absolutely. Great question. So they can look us up online at the Work Learn Institute. They can send me an email directly, amfannon at uwaterloo.ca. Would love to hear from the listeners and to explore some collaborations. Absolutely. So with that in mind, thanks so much, Anne-Marie, for sharing your valuable time, knowledge, and expertise with us. It was an absolute pleasure. I learned a ton and uh, you're welcome back absolutely anytime. Thank you so much, Craig. It was a blast. Perfect. Thank you very much. So if you're new to FinTech Fridays, please check out some of the incredible past episodes on the site. You'll be surprised, I think, with what you'll find. We look forward to seeing you next Friday for another episode of FinTech Fridays. Have a great weekend, everyone. You've been listening to Fintech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest Fintech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment fintech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org.